Welcome, friends, to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week we are off again, releasing a From the Vault episode. This one is going to be on The Handmaid's Tale, the 1990 film. Uh, maybe maybe a lot of people have forgotten about this movie. Um, I had never seen it when we when we watched this one. And we had just covered, I think, the TV show around this time. Yeah, I remember covering both the, the TV show and this movie around the time that Roe v. Wade was being repealed. And a lot of, there was a lot of, I mean, there still is a lot of stuff going on, obviously, but yeah. it felt very close at that point. I that think time. this episode was like recorded the week after it happened. So it was very fresh in our minds. We talk a lot about it. And in fact, we really get into a lot of discussions about the really dark shit that is being described in this book and how it's playing out in our real world. So I'm going to give a trigger warning for people that we talk about abortion here. We talk about sexual assault. Um, we talk about the dark realities of the political climate in America right now. So go in aware that that's what you're going to get here. I don't want to blindside anybody. Um, but overall, we also then talk about this film, which um, is 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 one that I, we had a lot of opinions about. Honestly, um, it's, it's one that I don't think a lot of people know about. I think it's interesting to take a look back on uh, what this original adaptation of Margaret Atwood's uh, novel ended up looking like. Yeah, because the legacy of Handmaid's Tale is now like very present in the zeitgeist, I feel like. And, and you know, people, unfortunately, and people people are aware of what it what it means. And, and sort of you see people dressing up as as the handmaids as a political statement. Yeah. And so to see what it was like in 19 in adaptation from 1990 would be like is I think it was a you know good exercise. Absolutely. And we will be back next week to talk about uh, Edgar Allan Poe and the fall of the House of usher so uh make sure you stick around for that one uh but for now we're off on vacation so enjoy this previous patreon exclusive now available for everyone we are revisiting the handmaid's tale this time for the original adaptation which was the 1990 film i watched this thing last night and then this morning i re-listened to some of our book coverage because i was trying to refresh in my memory on the book itself and uh, oh boy, um, it, there's there's a lot going on right now that uh, we couldn't even like. I don't even I don't even think we would have seen it coming. I don't know. Maybe we did. We talked about it how things were looking bad, and we were worried that they were going to continue to get worse. And since we uh, have recorded that, they have gotten worse in many ways, especially with Roe v. Wade being. Uh, uh, stricken down by the Supreme Court uh, since we last spoke. So uh, insane. You know, it, it's there, there's not much that we can say that's going to make anything better, but it's just like this catastrophic historical events keep happening uh, to us here in America and, and in the world. And it doesn't feel good. It feels like we're backsliding in a lot of ways. And I mentioned in that other piece that it's it's this weird phenomena where I always felt like the goal of the country was progress and to move forward and to get better. And for whatever reason, there's been this like pride in backsliding and this weird yeah. thing that I, I really didn't see coming in my childhood. I was more of an optimist and looking at the history books would always see the things that people were proud to talk about were us sort of overcoming these bigoted and like sexist and awful things that have happened in our history. In our coverage of, of Handmaid's Tale, we talked about the sort of Christo-fascist movement in this country and how these fascists are essentially using religion to further their their goals of just power and domination. 
And we talked about how Margaret Atwood, um, when she wrote The Handmaid's Tale, only used real things that have happened throughout history when, uh, you know, tyrants try and take over. And she was seeing how throughout history, when totalitarian governments seize power, one of the first things they always do is roll back the rights of women and assert control over women. And this moment we're in where Roe v. Wade has been stricken down uh, is just part of a broad attack from conservatives in this country on human rights and personal freedoms, um, especially for women, in an attempt to control and dominate and dishearten and um, they use the cross and, you know, the Bible to dress it up like it's something else, but it, it at its core isn't. Um, and uh, it's it's disgusting, and it's a humanitarian crisis that uh, is just beginning uh, that I think we're going to see get a lot worse. I also mentioned in that bumper the way that this feels like this story, Handmaid's Tale, the original novel came out in 85, and this film came out in the 90s, and even when... We had The Handmaid's Tale coming out in, I think it started in 2017 on Hulu, and it was sort of coming at the heels of Trump being elected and and just all of the ways that this feels like it's a, like a cautionary tale and it's supposed to be something like a, a roadmap of like what we should not allow to happen and the ways that it just feels like we are as dumb as, as much as you're like, there's no way people could be stupid enough to allow this to happen. It's still somehow happening through political machinations like cheating and 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 then also just like people maybe not being as active as they should and being as sort of within voting systems and 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 that's the, the other frustrating thing is we we just talked I feel like we talk about this every time every time we get on to record now, but it's that like you know we voted the right way and and like why wasn't Roe v Wade ratified and and you know cemented long ago why are all of these things it's just this frustrating yeah thing it's so much bigger than any like than any one of us right like we can't me and you can't do anything but um you know one of the things we can do is talk about it i guess and and hope that it changes some minds and um when i was very young i was someone who was on the fence about choice versus, you know, the quote-unquote pro-life movement. I guess I didn't really have a strong opinion either way. I didn't know enough. Not to mention raised in a conservative, you know, white conservative area. Area, yeah. Now, my my, my mom was always pro-choice. And so when I would talk to her about it, she would explain her point of view to an extent, but she's speaking to a child. You know what I mean? Um, and... It, it took some time, I think, for me to really internalize the inherent freedom that women deserve to have control over their bodies and how when you start legislating, you're inviting the government into the doctor's office to dictate to you what you have to do and some of the like most traumatic, often... Uh, moments of your life where perhaps you uh, have been sexually assaulted and, you know, find out you're pregnant with the assaulter's child. And now the government is going to come in and tell you you have to carry that baby to term. I mean, you, you also have the horrific situation of young women 
becoming pregnant and being raised in a scenario situation where they 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 know that their family may disown them they may be you know legitimately homeless if they if they come out and tell everybody that they're pregnant and so they they try to take matters into their own hands because they know they can't get a legal safe abortion and they try to do it to themselves and and you know the mortality rate on that has to be insanely high and just like how irresponsible that is of a government to allow that to happen well and then you also have situations where um men will want to force an abortion to happen and if it can't happen whether through force or or what have you then you see murders happen because of this stuff people will be killed over this because they they don't want to have people will die because of this no question lots of people are going to die and the 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 idea that the other side of this is wrapped up in this pro-life idea is so frustrating because of how much death this is going to cause there's there i understand there's this is a complicated issue that's the reason that it's so politically fraught um and if you're someone who considers yourself pro-life or at least leaning that way um you know first off thanks for listening that's uh, uh good on you for for at least giving it a shot um but you know i i imagine you have a lot of arguments right like that you want to put forward and usually it's about the life of the you know fetus uh, the child, the potential child, you know, I, I think there's common ground that can be found. I think, you know, whether or not you support abortion, does it mean you support like ch- children being aborted at like eight months for no reason, like on a per- on just a whim? Of course, like no one wants, that. you know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's like this like boogeyman idea that these late term abortions are the things that like Democrats love. And it's like, no, usually if that ever happens, it's for like absolutely catastrophic reasons. The mother's going to die. Um, the child's going to die as well. So the only choice is to abort to save one life when otherwise both will die. I guess now they just both die. Um, it, it just depends. I mean, laws are going to vary state to state. This kicks it to the kicks it to the states. I understand that it's not, you know, laws are now different everywhere. We are becoming even more of a fractured nation where it's going to depend on what state you're in or what state you get assaulted in, if you get assaulted, on whether or not uh, its abortion laws will apply to you um, and whether or not you're going to have to flee to a neighboring state to get uh, to get your health care. And again, I've heard people talk about how like this, oh, well, at least you can flee to a state where you may be able to get an abortion. Um, I hate that argument too because it's like there there's a certain inherent privilege to that, right? Like, oh, you have the money or the time yeah. or the resources to travel to go get an abortion somewhere. Like that's not yeah. that's not everybody's situation and it's well, not a lot of people's situation. Not to mention that if November goes poorly uh, for progressives in this country, and we lose ground in the Senate. Um, I think there's a really strong chance, and this is not paranoia speaking. This is like actual political um, thinkers have discussed this, um, that Republicans will use the power they have to eliminate the filibuster, which they've been fighting for, against us and then use that power to uh, pass a nationwide abortion ban that then states like Oregon and California uh, 
will have to try will have to decide if they're going to defy federal law and still provide them which is already being discussed now as they're trying to like ratify these laws into their state. I think California did it already. I think California has basically set it in place to where they're not going to turn. This, this is how nations fall apart. It's what's wild, right? Like this is how things fall apart. Well, and, and speaking of things falling apart, like it's not, you know, we talk about things sliding back too. It's like, they're, it's not going to stop here. Like there's going to be other, other protections that have been put in place you know somewhat recently they were they were specifically named in the supreme court opinion uh the five uh conservative justices outlined that uh especially clarence thomas i believe was outlining how all these other other rulings need to be re-examined including ones on same-sex marriage it's really scary and it's something that i hope everyone realizes is going to affect you Oh, uh, birth control in general. Is birth control going to be considered illegal at some point? Because or it, even or even a part of will health insurance pay for it? You know, it will, well, sure, know. that's the first step. But it could be criminalized at some point because it's yeah. taking away a potential life. Like when you start talking about potential lives, you start talking about the, the you know giving granting personhood to a fertilized egg. Like it it, it gets insane. The yeah. things that that can be done in the name of that. I heard someone talking online about like when the, these other things should be put into place. If we're going to assume that life begins at conception and life begins as soon as there's and the sperm touches the egg, then like child support should immediately be in place. There should be there should be things in place to help women because they are with child. Child. If a pregnant woman dies uh, from domestic violence or something like that, is it? child abuse and and double murder like like all of these things start to come into play as well well what about what about uh, environmental protection like if if you uh want women to be able to raise their children you should be pro regulations that limit chemicals that are getting put into people's drinking water that are giving birth defects and killing babies yeah i mean there's the famous george carlin bit right where it's like conservatives only care about the baby up until birth and then after birth it's like fuck them like they you know no school like education roll that back any sort of homelessness situations for children and like it's because the, the, it's it's bullshit that it's not it's not about the baby it's about controlling women and and that's that's the kind of thing that's the argument that lays it bare to me it's like yeah you can't like it comes down to like why is it so important to you because you want to limit the role of women in society you want to classify them as a second class citizen take away a fundamental right and assert that men have power over them. Yeah, and we're talking, we're in the age of talking about gun control and gun rights and what what conservatives want for that. And it's another situation where you're not protecting children beyond being birthed. Like these are schools that are being targeted and you're more worried about your protections of your gun laws. And it's like, it's not about the baby. It's not about the person. It's It's not not about about the life. life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... We got to talk about this movie, um, but this is the kind of stuff that is is like on my mind and is definitely going to be. It's like that's the meat and potatoes of this story. Um, I do just want to say that I uh, did recently come down with COVID, and I uh, spent the last week recovering from that. Um, I'm feeling better now. Um, I uh, still test positive on an antigen test, but um, for what that's worth. I don't really know what that's worth, um, but I ha- I'm asymptomatic at this point, and, and I'm definitely at the back end of it. So um, 
it sucked. Luckily, it wasn't absolutely catastrophic uh, because I have been vaccinated and boosted. Um, so I'm really glad for that. And um, it just sucks also to see where we're at <laughs> with this COVID thing. Um, as we're talking about this movie where people are wearing masks and there's like some sort of disease being discussed that is like always on the periphery. Um, I don't know, just so many things like just feel so prescient. But anyway, um, I just wanted to like put that out there because anybody's curious. Uh, we were supposed to be doing vacation uh, this this last week, but instead we I, I've been dealing with this. You did go to San Francisco, but we had to reschedule this recording because of my illness. So um, we're, we're doing this at the last minute. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it worked out. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're feeling better. A second ago, you were talking about the way that all of these things feel so timely and and it feels like the foresight in margaret i just wanted to give margaret atwood a huge shout out for the fact that like this is like the kind of prediction that i think a lot of um you know sci-fi fantasy authors want to they would like to think they'd be able to foresee the future in this way and and to be able to like at least well she said she doesn't want she didn't want this to be true she's like she's like she's like i wrote this because i don't want it to ever be true please prove me wrong but she's she's obviously leaning on something that could be true and the fact that it's come it's come true in that weird sci-fi way where normally it's fun like oh look they predicted the ipad or the iphone or something and like now we're looking at the dystopian version of that where it's like holy shit she's predicted a lot of these things that become factors that that build to this like larger sort of dystopian future that we're facing right now it seems like yeah i mean there's an accelerant poured on this with the fertility uh percentages or whatever going way way down in this version of america right where because of that there's a heightened anxiety about childbirth and i think that that sort of pours gasoline on this in a way that makes it so that things are going to progress differently here than maybe we would see them in the real world but like it's fiction yes it's a it's a it's designed for a specific purpose it's not supposed to be like 100 percent accurate like everything that you're reading here is going to happen it's more like this is the kind of shit that could happen and all of it has historical precedent and yeah i, I a lot of the shit could happen yeah and I, i'm just thinking in terms of like when the story comes out it does seem like a far-flung future where it's like oh this is the the worst possible situation that could happen over a s- certain period of time but every time we keep saying like oh, things are bad and, and, you know, they could get worse, so hopefully they don't. The fact that it just keeps leaning further into all of this is just, like, it, it's crazy. Like, it's it's supposed to be, again, it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to be subtle. It's supposed to, in, in a way, you know, this, this obviously the story is very, like, in your face in ways as it should be to, to talk about these issues. But at the same time, like, there's a subtlety to it that's lost when you go through. It's kind of like when we covered The Stand. Yeah. And we had gone through COVID. Like there's a certain subtlety to when those things aren't actively happening that it's kind of more, uh, I don't know, it feels like it's like, whoa, this imagination. Can you believe what they created? And, and then when it starts to come true, it just feels like, oh, ah, yeah. fuck. Yeah, it's not it's uh, it makes it even more present and, and, and real. And, and, and the distance between you and the fiction, it's just shortened. I was looking at some of the reviews about this movie when it came out. And um, I can't remember where I saw that. Like, I can't remember who it was who said this. What, somebody said the movie was um, paranoid poppycock, just like the novel. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. 
<laughs> like I just like thinking about like how much I want to shake that person. Um, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I have this somewhere. Uh, Owen Gleiberman, writing for Entertainment Weekly, gave the film a C minus grade and commented that. Visually, it's quite striking, but it's paranoid poppycock, just like the book. Okay, that was the one. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, not so paranoid uh, uh, as we've come to see. Uh, maybe it appeared that way in the '90s. And of course, like a guy says that, right? Like of some course. some some guy saying that. Yeah. And honestly, that, that might, I mean, we'll we'll get into it a little yeah. bit here. But the film overall, there's something about it, uh, especially having seen the Hulu series that comes out, and the way that it, this is such a like. It's an it's a man adapting. What's his name? What's his name, James? <laughs> so I don't speak German, but it's something along the lines of Volker Schlondorf. Okay. Uh, so we'll just refer to him as Schlondorf from here on. Oh, that's easy. Uh, yeah. So it's a man sort of trying to interpret what Margaret Atwood wrote in her novel and and put it on screen. And now I do want to say I read up a bunch about the production of this film and everything. There was definitely some production woes. They had multiple directors. So like oh, during production, they were pre- replaced the director and then another came in. The uh, playwright Harold Pinter wrote the screenplay. And that's notable because he was like, pretty prolific. And I guess he's since distanced himself from it. He wanted his name removed, but it was at a stage where it could no longer be removed. And I read some people writing sort of in hindsight about his involvement. He had like dissatisfaction with the kind of alteration that occurs once the script is tinkered with by others and it becomes collaborative to the point that is not his product anymore or that such tinkering for practical purposes removes some of the artistic element. So he really felt like he, this wasn't his work in a a sense. And that, you know, that, that, that all makes sense to me. Um, so yeah, let's just let's dive into this movie, right, and talk about it. Um, it was it's a 1990 adaptation of this book. Comes out five years after the novel's released, and a lot of people don't know about it. I think this is a movie that's largely been forgotten. It was kind of hard to track down for me. It, we ended up finding it on Apple TV for rent, um, and it's tougher. It would be tough for me to recommend even somebody spend four dollars on this movie. Um, but if you've seen the show or read the book, I think you can, you can at least appreciate what we're going to say about it. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, uh, ultimately like I'm, I'm glad I watched it because, you know, I, I'm kind of a geek for seeing the history of things. And I do feel like there's, you can see some influence from this version on the show. Um, like I feel like they at least saw it, um, which of course you would go do if you were, if you know, if you're going to make something, um, but yeah, what were your what were your I guess general thoughts, James, uh, watching this one? When did you watch it? I watched it uh, yesterday night, and I was just so struck by this sort of TV movie. And this is an older sort of like derogatory term for a movie. I think like that sort of TV movie made for TV feel, made for TV kind of thing. And it's so funny that we're living in an age where like the show. The TV show yeah, is this incredible, so like, it feels like dramatic prestige, prestige drama, movie drama, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then we have a TV film that was a f- like feature length film that sort of feels like more what you could would consider TV fair. Um, and it, I, I, think, I don't think it was TV fair. I think it was a th- full th- theatrical release. Yeah, so. You had Robert Duvall in it. You had uh, Faye Dun. Was it Faye Dunaway? Is that her name? Faye Dunaway. Yeah. yeah. And Natasha Richardson was was offered. Yeah, I, it just like struck me as something that didn't really uh, reach the concept of what it could have been. It was like 
hitting some of the, the correct buttons, but the the tone felt off in times. And the there's like nudity in this film. And whereas like there may be some nudity in the Hulu series, the nudity in the film felt male gazy, and it felt like we're like seeing a woman. And it was like during like there's a few diff- few different nudity occasions. Um, yeah, one of which is is uh, off red when she's in the window, and then it's a lot of the stuff with her and Nick. But then also there's the party later on in the movie where there's a lot of nudity there. True, but um, yeah, and then uh, of course like the traumatic like rape scene within the story feels so it didn't it didn't take it as seriously it kind of played it as a no more normal scene and something about that played to me as like not giving the attention that it deserves in a way You're talking and about also, specifically when the commander raping offred went and the the um serena joy is is there as well holding her arms and stuff yeah something about the way that it was shot the way that it was like performed it felt more insensitive so this movie is like a, a interesting example of a, a, a film that seems to like have a lot of things in place that should work. It's got a good cast, you know, at least relatively, it seems like to me. Um, it's about, it's a, adapting a powerful, historically important novel that honestly, like the adaptation until the very end is pretty faithful. Um, it, you know, in many ways tries to evoke things in the same w- way, but something is is so drained from this version the tone like you said is all wrong the horror of everything that's going on is almost absent and it's so weird because the things that are happening are horrific that you're seeing but yet the movie doesn't seem to be aware that it's horrific and, and and it doesn't do anything to highlight the horror. And I'm not talking about anything garish. I'm just talking about, like, recognizing the horror of the thing you're showing. It fails to do that. Is there is there, like, a film term for this where, like, something about the editing or something about the production, something about the direction, it just isn't conveying the theme that you're intending to intending to do like it's it, it felt the intention was there it just wasn't coming across to me i i typically like it's not a great metaphor or comparison but i normally call something like that more surgical right the action's happening it's more removed in a way and you're not getting the emotion in it when you say surgical are you maybe looking for like antiseptic like it's been sort of cleaned of in a way yeah and like there's like a lack of emotion and a lack of like what film is and what art is right is like removing something like that but you're pretty much nailing down sort of what i was trying to get at with some of the traumatic things happening with the rape scene and, and just the gravity given to certain situations. And it's just that the, the, in the, in the show, and I think we're, we're inherently going to compare this to the show because we've seen the show already. And we get so many moments of living with Alfred. We live with her trauma. We see the, the aftermath. We see her dealing with being captured and being basically a yeah. prisoner. Trauma. And I think you're you're touching on a key word that is missing in this movie, um, and I don't know who to, like where the blame lies here. Um, but the result is that this version of Offred feels like she's just floating from scene to scene, not carrying the trauma of what's been going on with her. She's she's just like everything is is dealt with so 
I don't know, like mechanically. And it's like they're expecting us to see that it's bad and recognize that it's bad and that for that to be enough. But we're not seeing a human being reacting to the horrific things being done to her. And and that just to me, like it felt like what did you say the the, the actor's name is uh, who, who plays Alfred? Oh, it's uh, Natasha Richardson. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know whether or not it's Natasha Richardson's fault, um, if it's fair, or if it's just like a, a an overall, you know, problem with the movie itself. But it 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 felt like she was no nowhere near Elizabeth Moss. Like Elizabeth Moss kills this performance in Handmaid's Tale. We talked about how how incredible she is. Just the amount of pain and anger and rage and trauma that is conveyed in, in her eyes and which to me is always the sign of an amazing acting is, is when it's all in the eyes and I just see none of that in this performance like I'm looking at her eyes and I first off don't believe it and second off I don't see the pain there that should be there I think it's probably a little bit of both right I think it's like there's some of the performance could have could have been played up some but it's also like comes down to direction and what the director wants out of it and then also the scenes and the, the the material given. So like there's I don't think there's a director saying, let's take a beat, beat here to deal with your trauma. You know, and I, I don't see that happening. So there's also there's a material. Yeah. And we're and we don't see great performances from anybody, in my opinion. Like I, I don't I didn't think Robert Duvall was particularly good here. I didn't think Faye Dunaway was particularly good here. Um, I'm not like I, I don't know Faye, Faye Dunaway super well. I looked into her and she's was in a lot of like older films that I've heard of but haven't seen. Yeah, um, you should definitely at least see uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I, I saw I saw a list that was like, okay, these are a bunch of like big movies. So I assume she's great, right? And I mm-hmm. and I know Robert Duvall can be great, but I thought like he was toothless here as the commander. None of the none of the menace and danger and inherent power differential that makes these scenes between them so fucked up in the book and in the Hulu adaptation is present here. Like, it, this version of the commander is is not the antagonist that the book lays out and that the show really finds a way to, to sort of maximize. I thought he was particularly, you know, terrifying in, in the show in a way. They humanize him in a way, but in only, only insofar as to make him even more frightening somewhat to me so and again this version of uh, of commander is is he's all like the commander is a pathetic character he's a pathetic man but like he's not ever anything more than that in this movie to me like, he's just pathetic and and he's not frightening i'm never like afraid of what he's gonna do to her which like you should be you should always be afraid of what he's gonna do to her because he has supreme power over her yeah, I agree. It, it, I think it, and it, it's, again, probably performance a little bit, but more often than not, material given and direction. Yeah. You know, because like, I even felt like the script was kind of there. Like, I'm, I, it could have been better, but like the material was there, but like it felt like nobody was giving their all like their performance didn't have the emotion and the pain. And then the, like like you were talking about the artistry, like in, in the sort of made for TV feel this movie didn't feel very artistic to me. Like it, it make things interesting, vary the lighting up. Like if you're in a dark moment, use cinematography to convey the darkness and the severity and the, the, the terrible tragedy. And instead they just, it, everything felt cold and removed and not, I don't know, not effective. 
I think of those crazy like macro close-up shots of Elizabeth Moss while she's like sweating and just like in a full panic and stuff and the ways that like well like seeing like tears run down her eyes in, in different moments when something horrific's happening to her like that's exactly what I'm talking about that 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 really conveys it I I can't think of an extreme close-up in this entire film that we just watched I can't think of them there's not a variety to their there there is a lot of wide shots medium shots living in the medium shot maybe a close-up every once in a while and I do I do want to agree with you about uh this the tone in general beyond all of that the tone feels off especially with Nick and Offred um I, I was really frustrated in the way that they seem to make this movie be a weird romance between her and Nick, where it's like, yeah, her fucking kid is gone. She's been raped. She's now pregnant with you know someone else's child. She's in a horrific you know totalitarian state, but she's got Nick. So that's happy. And like, we should be like titillated by her because like you said the the nudity is presented in a way that's male gazy and feels like it's trying to heighten that romance and that like sexy nature of it to feel taboo to yeah us. exactly it's like isn't this kind of kinky and you're like no it's not and um yeah the everything with nick felt wrong and and for that reason like it really wanted to lean into that and then that leads to the way they change the ending where they um, oh yeah, the ending is wild. It's supposed to be this like almost like triumphant ending, and I'm like, what of what? Yeah, the whole system's yeah. still in place. Yeah, in the book it's ambiguous, and in the show, in the season one, I think both of them are ambiguous of whether or not the that Mayday had sort of rescued her. If I'm remembering correctly, maybe in the show it was a little bit implied that 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 is more likely than not. But in the book, it was completely ambiguous. We don't actually know her fate at the end when she's being driven away in that sort of van. Um, but yeah, here she, she, like Nick is in the van with her and then there's this, oh my God, cringy moment where he's trying to drive away and she's running after him going, no, you have to stay with me. And it's like, it's so bad. bad. She's like supposed to be in love with him and like all this stuff. And it's like, she's not in love with Nick. He's just there. And he's, he's just a moment for her to recapture a bit of her agency and when she has sex with him, it's triumphant for her because she chooses it. That's it. It's not because they have some uh, star-crossed romance. And this movie completely misunderstands it and, and tries to cast it the other way around. And she's in the mountains now, like, with a dog, you know, like, and and and, and, uh, and she's pregnant. And she's just waiting for Nick in hopes that he comes. And it's like, she's looking out at the sunset. And, yeah, like you said, it's got, like, you know, rising, positive, triumphant music. And you're like... What the fuck? None of this is earned, and and it makes no fucking sense. It's like this. There's this weird like epilogue-y feel to it, and it's it's got like this. She's like, I'll one day look out, look for my kid, and she'll remember who I am. And I'm like, I don't know if it's gonna work out like that for you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it, I don't think your kid's gonna remember you. And even if they do, like, if you are able to get your child again, like, you know, what life could you give them? And like. At least in the novel, there's like sort of that ambiguous sort of tragedy to it. Whereas here, it felt like they were trying to say like, she got away, so everything's better now. And don't worry about everybody who was left behind because hopefully they can escape as well. I'm like... It's very weird. Uh, Serena Joy, I thought, was also a character that was a you know, shadow of herself. Um, there's none of the, uh, again, the menace and the inherent fucked up power she has. Um, you have you have uh, 
what's her name? Aunt Lydia. Uh, no, sorry, another character, Aunt Lydia, who's who's sort of menace is not that is just not there. Um, all of the danger and and fucked up power dynamics, it's like they're just play acting at them, but they're not giving them the teeth that they deserve. Um, and then yeah, you have you. Like, I thought the start of the movie was promising, right? Like we see we we see this attempt at the border. The husband gets shot. We see um, these like uh, camps, and this the border has all these people in and you know walking down these lines, and they're being judged whether or not they're uh, positive or negative. I think on whether or not they're fertile, um, and they're being thrown in this uh, this semi truck, and you know they're they're being hauled off to. Uh, who knows where, you know, the colonies, I guess, or, or where where have you. Um, and and that is all pretty harrowing and, like, well well done. And I thought, like, okay, this is actually going to be maybe kind of a forgotten gem. Like, maybe kind of like uh, we Smooth Talk we saw was, like, actually a pretty good movie, you know, and not a lot of people know about it. So I was like, maybe we'll get the same thing with this Handmaid's Tale ad- adaptation. But it kind of goes off the rails from there. And as soon as she gets put in place at the house all the teeth gets removed from the narrative and she starts walking around in these diaphanous gowns, like showing off her cleavage. And like, that seems to be what it's more interested in and like how like, yeah, this is fucked up, but isn't it also kind of sexy? And like, it doesn't say that, but like that seems to be kind of the mood and it's real weird. And like her relationship with um, Moira, is that her name? You know, she, she also just, like, it was kind of like it, at times it was pretty good, but then, that character also seemed to be like weirdly happy, whereas Moira is always such a tragic figure to me in the book and in the show. I don't know. There's just so many little things, and it's like it's frustrating because it's there. It's just handled wrong, and it's got the wrong tone, and it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, I I think Faye Dunaway realized this and tried to leave like halfway through. And, really? and yeah, she wanted off the film. And the only thing that, that brought her back was apparently a phone call with um, Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood sort of like talked to her about like the, you know, what the character meant and all of these other things. And so she decided to stay on for that reason. And I think like, you know, say, say what you will about the film, but just the fact that like Margaret Atwood like went out of her way to like try to, she tried in some way to help this, this production along. And so, so is there, did you read anything about why it went to hell and why we changed directors and like what happened to cause this thing to go, go it's under? It's tough to tell, but I can read this little bit here and maybe it, it could help you. It's from the viewpoint of um, Natasha Richardson, who okay. was our main lead here. Richardson recognized early on the difficulties of making a film out of a book, which was so much a one-woman interior monologue, and the challenge of playing a woman unable to convey her feelings to the world about her, but who must make them evident to the audience watching the movie. She thought the passages of voiceover narration in the original screenplay would solve the problem, but then Pinter changed his mind and Richardson felt she had been cast adrift. Harold Pinter has something specific against voiceovers, she said angrily 19 years ago. Speaking as a member of an audience, I've seen voiceover and narration work very well in films a number of times, and I think it would have been helpful had it been there for The Handmaid's Tale. After all, it's her story. In the end, Volker Schlondorf sided with Richardson. So it seems like somewhere along the way, Harold Pinter sort of lost faith in it. And I'm not sure if that happened with the first director or not, but then it's changed. And I'm sure that was part of Faye Dunaway's decision. Like, 
you know, if you sign on to a film and then another director shows up and you don't agree with their vision, that can that can lead to some issues. Well, and, and this, it's an interesting distinction that she's talking about there, right? Voiceover or not voiceover. And we talk about this all the time in adaptation. It's always a question. And ultimately, I, do I think this would have been benefited from some voiceover? Yeah, I actually think it would have because... When usually we are not for it. Usually it's more I want you to show me and not yeah. tell me. But with the interiority of this story, it, I think it would have helped as well. I agree. Well, and, and also just you need a powerhouse performance to convey that level of interiority. And if you're not getting that from you know, the movie, from your actor or from whatever you're creating... It's time to pivot and introduce some some uh, voiceover because it would have it would have been helpful. I think ultimately, I don't think it would have solved the problems of the movie, but it would have helped. You know, you're talking about powerhouse performances, and and again, I don't I don't necessarily put it on Natasha Richardson the, that it, things didn't work out 100. percent But I I did read that originally Kate or Alfred was offered to Jodie Foster, and it's apparently. Sigourney Weaver took the role, but then had to drop out um, because she got pregnant. So I feel like, you know, more well-known actors, who knows what they could have done with the role. It's just highlights to me, like you, you always talk about all the different things that can come up when a movie's getting made that can sink it. And just and it sounds like, unfortunately, some stuff came up with this movie that sunk it. I think so. I mean, it got you know, made, but like the result was not good. I think right. ultimately. Oh, speaking about it being made, you're going to. This is going to make your blood boil similar to that to that uh, comment made by that that critic. Okay. Sheldon Teitelbaum once wrote of this film's development. During the next two and a half years, Wilson would take the script to every studio in Hollywood, encountering a wall of ignorance, hostility, and indifference. Studio executives knocked the picture, saying that it was, quote, a film for and about women, and it would be lucky if it was, if it made it to video. Yeah. No, that also does not shock me. Uh, that that it encountered that kind of problem. Um, I, I I wish, man, like I wish this movie was good, because then it would be a fun one to like be like, yeah, this this just was made before its time and people weren't ready for it and like. Plus a big middle finger. I, I love when a film like that is like naysayed by everybody and then does super well and then you know just makes people look stupid or at least becomes ignorant. a cult classic, you know, or whatever. But like it doesn't get to do any of that ultimately because the movie ended up not being very good. But um. Before we finish, I, I I do have to put this out here. This is a, this is a, a bonus episode, so we're not going full length. But um, whenever I see The Handmaid's Tale brought up these days online, um, and I run in very progressive circles, right? I do see pushback against it, and the pushback against it is something that was in my head as I was watching this, and. It's it, it the problem with the Handmaid's Tale is still present in this version. It is present in the show. It's present in the book. Um, I think they did some work to 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 lessen it in the show, which we've talked about. But it's, it's the the centering of white women at the heart of the abortion criminalization and uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned and everything that's happening right now in our country. When people trot out The Handmaid's Tale, it feels once again like they're centering white women and they're ignoring that people of color are often um, the most affected, the most detrimentally affected by these laws, disproportionately so. Um, It's not to say white women aren't affected, but it is ignoring that fact. And for this to be a truly progressive piece of art that is worthy of 
bringing out time and time again, I would have liked to see that a little more. And so I get that there is a criticism out there among among people um, and who don't like it. They don't like seeing people trot it out all the time. They don't like it being referenced all the time because they see that as an inherent flaw. Um, I know Margaret Atwood has occasionally said some stuff that that also has rubbed people the wrong way. Um, but ultimately to me, um, I see it as a problem of perfectionism that you often see on the left, especially in progressive circles, where things are weighed on whether or not they are perfectly progressive in the moment and perfectly aligned with every value. And like, it's very hard for pieces of art to live up to that, especially ones that were written a long time ago. If something is imperfect, I think it's okay to point out those imperfections and highlight them, but then also still embrace the power and what's good. Like, right, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And so often we see problems with that. And so to me, like The Handmaid's Tale continues to be an amazing piece of work. Uh, You know, I think it's prescient. I think it does an incredible job at telling a harrowing, engaging story, but also one that is so important. And I can still recognize that it is imperfect. I think this story is doing a lot more good than it is harm when in its existence. And I think, like, of course, we want to see our world reflected accurately in in art, and like that. That's what we should strive for, and that's why I am I'm really happy that there are people out here who who out there who are saying that that you know it's not perfect and that these things need to be addressed because they do. And the more the the better we get with that, the more we're going to see the reflection of our world that that is more accurate. But like I, I, the net positive that we're getting from this story and and sort of what it's the questions that it's bringing up and the sort of cautionary tale that it is, I think some of you know middle class America needs a story like this to start to engage with that and then then like sort of treat it as a stepping stone into more. I don't know. I, I I worry, and this is not my perspective. I just I just think there is a perspective, especially you think of like what we just heard about the studio executives and stuff. Like that story, it would it doesn't get made potentially, or or it's not as widely engaged with or something. And as as awful as that is, I I do think that we're seeing diversity being addressed in our media and and our writing and our film and and I hope that that continues to be the case and and we get better and better. Well, better yeah, and, and and rightfully people have pointed out that Atwood is borrowing a lot of this stuff from like the history of actual slavery in our country and is instead inventing a world where slavery is being perpetuated onto white women and it's sort of stealing that trauma from, you know, what yeah. what black people actually went through in our country. I, I think that's awful. And and like I, I think it's right to point that out and to be frustrated with it. Um, but I, yeah, I also think that there is value to be had. And like you said, it reaches certain people. This this book just does. And and I think ultimately you're right. I, net good. I think it's a net good, in my opinion. So uh, it was it was it was interesting to come back to and I think appropriate for the time. I don't know if I want to say fun, but like I like talking about this stuff. Um, it's cathartic, at least, I think, a little bit to talk about stuff like this. So I guess that's going to be it for this month. Uh, make sure to vote for pro-choice candidates uh, this coming November. Yeah. And uh, until next time. Don't let the bastards grind you down. <laughs>